0: Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. We're in uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, but before we get into God's word and we dig in, I, I wanted to celebrate our last single service with an anecdotal story. If those of you who know me, the, the chuckles are because I never share anecdotal stories. I, I don't have a lot of written in jokes. I don't do that kind of preaching, but uh, today I got a great anecdotal story, a great one. So, Can you put the picture up there? This is Elmer McCurdy. Anybody ever heard of Elmer McCurdy? Oh, man, this is going to be awesome then Good. I was hoping none of you had heard of him. This guy was shot while robbing a train on October seventh nineteen eleven He was a bank robber and uh, he was a, he was holed up somewhere and uh, the police the the police and the sheriffs came to arrest him and it turned into a shootout and He was shot in the stomach and then later died uh, of his wounds and Nobody claimed the body. nobody came to to uh, say, hey, this is my brother, this is my husband, nobody. And so they embalmed him in a very special way that preserved the body for a very long time to give the family enough time to, uh, to materialize and come and, and find him. But nobody ever showed up. But the funeral, o- the funeral homeowner refused to bury him because he wanted to get paid for his work. And so to make recoup the cost, the funeral director actually put his body on display kind of tilted up the coffin and charged a nickel to look at the bandit who would not give up. And the funeral home did this until 1916, at which time Elmer's remains were claimed by two brothers, James and Charles Patterson, who used the corpse in a traveling carnival as a sideshow attraction. In 1949... Now, remember, he was shot in 1911 and bombed shortly after. In 1949, his body was placed in, a, in storage in a warehouse. And in 1961, 50 years after his death, his body was used as a prop in the B-movie She Freak. Nobody's heard of it. Good. It's a B-movie. Nobody's supposed to have heard of it. Okay. In 1968, the body was sold to a, with a collection of wax figures to Ed Lierzich, part owner of the Pike, an amusement park in Long Beach, California. And on December 8th, 1976, while they were shooting an episode of the $6 million man, anybody remember that? Yeah, they were shooting an episode of the $6 million man at the pike uh, for the episode Carnival of Spies. One of the prop masters went to move the body, which was hanging by a noose as part of the attraction, went to move the body, accidentally ripped off the arm of what he thought was a mannequin and saw that there was like tissue and, you know, petrified, mummified tissue and bone inside this corpse. So he called, they called the police, of course, the police came and investigated. They said, yep, he's dead. And uh, they, they finally were able to identify McCurdy's body from a couple of different things. Number one, there was a coin from 1921 stuffed in his mouth. And there was also a ticket stub from one of the sideshow attractions. And so they were able to kind of track this and figure out that this was Elmer, McCurdy. And in April on April 22nd of 1977, Elmer McCurdy was finally buried in Guthrie, Oklahoma, and 300 people attended his gravesite memorial. Just to be sure that Elmer never went on display again, they poured 6 feet of concrete over his body to make sure he was never dug up as a sideshow attraction again. See, that's a weird story, right? That's anecdotal. I told you it was a good story. There he is right there. But one thing's for sure with Elmer. When they figured out that this was Elmer McCurdy, when they figured out it wasn't a wax mannequin, nobody tried to revive him. He was dead. There was no doubt he was dead. The effort was to identify the body. Nobody was trying to save him. He wasn't a pile of bones, but he wasn't much more. And today we're going to be talking about a vision that Ezekiel had of a valley of dry bones, bones that were unidentified except in general. And these bones, what happens with these bones is way more interesting than what happens with Elmer McCurdy's body. Go with me to uh, Ezekiel 37, verse 1 through 6. We'll read it together, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, "O oh God, you know. And he said to me, prophesy over the bones and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and, you will, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. My first point today is God gives us life. God gives life. It's very interesting to me that the prophet says, "Behold, the bone—the bones were very dry. These were very old bones. They weren't mostly dead. They were all the way dead." Reference to Princess Bride. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Turns out he's only mostly dead. Forget it. He was dead. McCurdy was dead. These bones. Everyone's dead. These specific bones represent Israel, but there's a greater context for us as well. Like these bones, humanity is dead. Not mostly dead, dead. Dead in our sin without Christ. And the illusion that the enemy wants us to believe is that we're not dead dead. We might be a little dead. We might be mostly dead, but we're not dead dead. But believe me, the Bible makes it very, very clear that each one of us is dead. Dead without salvation in Jesus Christ. We are dead. And Ezekiel goes on to say, oh God, you know if these bones can live again. See, Ezekiel knew that only God has the power to give physical and spiritual life. The Bible says in Psalms 139, he knitted me together in my mother's womb. When we pray for people for healing, even though doctors may not have answers, even though that we may not have the answers, we know that God, who formed us from the mother's womb, has the answers to what is making us sick, what is ailing us. We can pray for God to intervene and bring healing to diseases and sicknesses that even man fully does not understand yet. He also brings spiritual life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we become born-again Christians, think about the implication of just that phrase, born-again Christians, and what Corinthians says here. The old has passed away, and we're made new. So we don't just add to our life Christianity. We are born again from above. We are are made new. And this is a transformation that has to happen in the life of the believer. It's one thing to come and be converted. It's a whole other thing to come and be transformed. Amen? Those of you who have been transformed, those of you who have experienced the transformation power of Jesus Christ know what I'm talking about. It's more than a decision. It's more than the slipping up of the hand. It's more than a prayer prayed with somebody. It's a transforming experience that happens in our lives. We are made new. We are born again. Like old bones brought back to life, we now live. And it's only in the living of Jesus Christ that we fully understand how dead we were. Hello? Those bones didn't know any better. All right? And like those bones, people walking in sin, those born into sin, those who have, who are unregenerate, who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, speaking from experience myself, they don't, we don't, you don't know you're dead. You don't know that you're dead. Somebody's got to tell you, you're dead. Did you know you're dead? Anybody ever seen the sixth sense? I'm not going to spoil it. (laughs) If you haven't yet, it's, it's pretty good. Right. I didn't. Somebody spoiled it for her, not for me. So I was like, "Whoa!" it amazed me. Right. But somebody like, sometimes you got to be told you're dead, you're dead. And when you, when you are born again, when, when you, when your life is transformed by the power of God and you now live spiritually, then you really realize how dead you were. He goes on to say, the, the, uh, the chapter goes on to say in verse 15, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it. For Judah and the people of Israel associated with him, and then take another stick and write on it. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel associated with him, and join them together into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. When the sticks, oh, skip down with me a little bit now to the 20, when the sticks on which you write, are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from all around, and I will bring them to their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all, and they shall no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms." God, not only does he give life, God brings restoration. God brings restoration. God is promising to restore people. This is the most striking thing all week. This is the most striking thing about this passage of scripture to me is that God is promising to restore and heal people who are in open rebellion to him. Does that, do you compute that? I mean, do you get that? Like That God is openly making promises to people who are living completely contrary to to his will for their lives. They're in open rebellion. They don't even care. They're dead, dead. And here, here is God making promises to restore them. Does that just show you the Father's heart? Doesn't that just show you God's great, great love? As we've gone through the, almost the entire Old Testament now, we'll finish up in just a, few, a couple of months, we'll finish up the Old Testament, our journey through the Bible. If you have not seen yet in our journey through the Bible how much God loves you and how big his grace is, this just, again, puts an exclamation point on it. This promise is not to people who are even trying, not even making an effort. Just that God wants restoration. He wants the reconciliation of the God-man relationship. And there's no, there's nothing that's going to stop him from doing everything he can to make that happen. As a matter of fact, we make no effort. He makes it all through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us, right? He loved us. God places a great value on you. And that's, that's kind of hard for us to get our mind wrapped. Why would God care about us? You know you. Some, you know I know some of you, right? But I know me. Why would God value me? Because he, he wants to. Because he wants to. Because he created me. Because he created me to love him. He created me to be in relationship with him. He, he loves me. And some of us still, we don't think God quite loves us yet. We're not quite sure God God really loves us that much. I want to tell you, I want to assure you today, He does. He loves you. And the cross is the demonstration of His love for you. That He did it all. He first loved us and He demonstrated that in the cross, how much He loves us by sending His own Son to die for the penalty we deserve. I think another thing this scripture shows us, this passage shows us, is that God desires that we live in unity. And the illustration that's used is, is Ezekiel holding two sticks in one hand. And by the power of God, in this, in, by this hand, these two sticks appear to be one, right? And I'm not much of an illusionist. I mean, if I, I can show you there are two sticks, but when I hold them like this, straight across with a firm grip, it looks like one stick, Church, we've been praying all month for unity in our church. We've been praying that we would be unified as we make this change because I want to tell you that I believe the unity in our church is threatened when we go to two services. It's just, it's just the way it is. we is. We're going to, Some of you that are sitting next to each other today, some of you will always come to the 9 and some of you will always come to the 1030 and you may not see each other except for things like the Christmas banquet and the picnics and the things like that or if you're in growth group together. But just because we're not sitting in service next to each other in the future doesn't mean that we need to be broken and disjointed. God desires unity for his people. It is so clear there is perfect unity in the Trinity, and God desires that the church be unified. And, and church, this is our mission. We have to choose Unity. It's easy to choose disunity. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to talk bad. It's easy to gossip. We have to refuse to do so and be unified. God has called us to be one in Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's also interesting in this illustration. I'm just going to kind of read my interpretation into it. It's the hand that's holding the sticks together. When we leave his grasp, when we leave, when we get outside of what God's will is for us, then it's easy to be fragmented and broken. But it's the strength of God that holds us together. Make no mistake about it. It's not the fact that we like to go bowling together or ride motorcycles together or bicycle together or play games together or play golf together or, or cross stitch together or, or anything or make little gnomes together. That has nothing to do with it or eat bacon together. That is not enough. It is the power of God that binds us together. It is our mutual love for Jesus Christ that is the unifying force inside the church of Jesus Christ, period. We're not a social club. We're not a group of people who likes to hang out. We are here to worship the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and submit our lives to him on a daily basis. And that is what's going to keep us strong. That's what's going to keep us unified because all these other things are just affinities. And you know, and I know affinities change. I got a whole attic full of old affinities. You probably do too, but it's the the blood of Jesus. It's the power of God that is sustaining, and as long as we stay in his hand, as long as we stay obedient to him, we'll be a unified church. Somebody say amen. amen. I want to tell you that when disunity rears its ugly head, it is a sign that we are outside of his grasp. It's a sign that we are outside of God's will. Now, that does, that's not to say that there should not be accountability. Don't confuse what I'm saying. There should be accountability, okay, in the church. There should be accountability of leadership. There should be accountability of, of one another. But disunity is forming a coalition of the unwilling. Disunity is sowing discord. Disunity is, 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 is choosing to live in an untransformed way. Go with me to verse 23. Oh, man, I am doing so good. Verse 23, on time anyway. (sighs) I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. No, wait, sorry, I'm in the wrong verse. Let me just look over here. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. How many times in the Old Testament so far has God declared this? Let me tell you, this is his declaration over you. This is his word over you. I will be their God, and they will be my people. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. How I many you know? He's talking about Jesus here. They shall walk in they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers lived and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant shall be their prince forever. Again, talking about Jesus, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in the land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place, Shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. God reaches out to rebels. God is still reaching out to rebels. This is such a wonderful promise we have from God because maybe you're not living in open rebellion to God anymore. Maybe you have given yourself and given your heart over to God and you you have decided to make Jesus Lord of your life. You're not a rebel anymore, but you know rebels. You're related to rebels. You might be married to a rebel. There's rebels everywhere, but there is still hope for every rebel. There's still hope for every single person who's rebelling against the hand of the Lord, who's rejecting his promise that he shall be their God and they shall be his people. You were one of them. I was one of them. We're not better than them. We're just in a different place than they are. But there's still hope. God's arm is not too short, Isaiah says. It says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear. There's still hope for family. There's still hope for friends. There's still hope for wayward children. There is still hope because aren't you glad that God is still in the business of reaching rebels? God is still reaching out to those who are living in open rebellion to his invitation of grace and his, and, and, and his, his invitation to be their God. God is reaching out. He's actively at work to bring salvation to every human being on upon the face of the earth. He's doing it supernaturally. He's moving heaven and earth at times to see people saved. To see them have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that when Jesus was on the cross and he breathed his last and he said it's finished, he meant it. It's done. Salvation is available to every single human being on the face of the earth. But how can they know about Jesus unless they are told, right? This is why we believe so heavily in supporting missions. This is why we trust in the mission of God, the Missio Dei, to see the gospel preached around the world. Because we believe that they need to hear about what Jesus has already done for them. So God is working supernaturally, but he also works through his people to reach the unreached. God will not force you or anyone to serve him, but he is in a relentless pursuit of yours and others' salvation. Even hard times, even tragedy brings about miraculous transformation in people's hearts. For some of us, we're so hard headed, we're so stiff necked that God has to take everything from us before we'll look to Him. Some of you, that's not your testimony. You know, that's my testimony. You know, that's Jordan's testimony. Some of you, that's not. That's not, that doesn't, that's a compliment to you. That's a compliment to my wife. That's not her testimony. She had the wherewithal to accept Jesus before that had to happen. I didn't. You know, I was just too stiff necked, I was too hard hearted. And God had to strip everything away from me before I would even even acknowledge his authority over my life and the universe. In closing, throughout this Old Testament so far, we have two themes that are running clearly. There's a lot of themes, but two that are clearly running through the, the Old Testament. The first is that we are a rebellious people, by all accounts, are unlovable by our Creator. But that He chooses to love us anyway, and He's working to bring salvation to the broken relationship between Himself and His people. Timothy, Timothy Keller, Presbyterian pastor, wonderful man of God, working in New York City, in in the heart of the city, sums it up as like this: We are more sinful than we could ever imagine, but God loves us more than we could ever hope. This is the gospel. We are more sinful than we could ever imagine but God loves us more than we could ever hope. It's just a one-sentence version of the gospel. There's nothing that you have done or are doing or have done that can put you out of reach of God's grace. He is able to take the driest, deadest bones and bring them back to life. While God's passion for his people is overwhelming, his grace is not irresistible. We must decide to respond to God's grace by receiving him as our Lord and Savior. Now, this is an important point. Some of you with maybe deeper theological convictions, especially in other tribes of Christianity, may believe that God's grace is irresistible. I would say everything we've read in the Old Testament so far is, con- is shows that to be not true. At every step, Israel is resisting God's grace. At every step, they, they, God gives them grace, he redeems them, he, he saves them from catastrophe, and then they once again turn away from him. We have to respond to the invitation of grace. We have to submit ourselves to God's authority. We have to be willing to go through the transformation process, to be born Again, we can't take anything. You know, it's often said at funerals, you just can't take it with you. You can't take anything with you. I want to tell you, I believe the same is for being born again spiritually. You can't take it with you. You can't take anything from that old life with you. You got to be born again. You got to be willing to give it all to Him. Today, for the first time, maybe you realized you're dead. You're dead. You're dead in your sin. You're dead in your transgression. You're dead in your hope. You're just dead. You're dead. You know you're dead. You feel like a pile of dry bones. I want to tell you that God's invitation of grace is is here for you today. You alone, God, know that you can make any old pile of bones live again. God, you know that. He can do it in your life. He's done it in mine. He's done it in countless others in this room. He can do it in yours as well. Will you decide today to be saved? Will you decide to put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and that you might live again? Amen. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smccchurch.net. That's smccchurch.net.